0: Hello, wallah! Welcome to Jordan's Mosaic Podcast. I'm Lina, a Jordanian tour guide, and I will walk you through the rich history, vibrant culture, and hidden gems of this small yet enigmatic country. So, whether you're sipping coffee or tea or anything in between, join me to discover Jordan's landscapes, stories, and flavors. It's time to embrace the real Jordan. Yalla! Today, we're going to talk about architecture in Jordan in general. We're not only going to talk about the physical buildings, but the culture that's behind all of these buildings that we see throughout Jordan in different cities. We're also going to talk about the difference between Amman as a capital city and the buildings here and compare it with different cities, different towns where we like to live, what kind of houses we prefer as locals, et cetera, et cetera. And we have a very, very genius guest with us today. I'm super lucky to have Laith with us. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, my name is Leith Matarwe. I'm an architect and design researcher based in Jordan. I have my own small architectural practice and I work also with uh, Ammar Khammash as a senior design architect. My background is mainly architecture. I've pursued my master's degree in design research in Germany in Bauhaus. This major wasn't so much related into architecture, dealt with researching design in general, the aspect of design, what makes interactive design, for instance, a good experience for users. And also, from my background architecture practice, I've delved in into how the built environment were built to be suitable for human beings. and I've dealt also in my research in how Jordan became a specific built environment, what characterized the Jordanian context in terms of how people live, how people behaved with with their physical context and also their cultural and historic context and what made Jordan with its towns and cities very um, unique on on their own. This is my kind of research. I also practice architecture on a domestic level, more residential level. This is where my own professional personal professional practice is um, is based currently. And I have like uh, many hobbies other than my passion for architecture. And this is why I've studied architecture and pursued this practice. I really enjoy doing photography, but I need to emphasize I'm not a photographer. I'm an architect, amateur photographer. You might some might say, but my whole aim from photography is to document the relevant and unique aesthetic beauty that we have in Jordan, from architecture to the physical, natural, uninterrupted context, and this is what I enjoy and. Aside from photography, I really love to write. Any audience of mine will recognize that I always love to reflect uh, on the photography I, I do, to write about what I see, because I think that the audience always owe the photographer or the architect an explanation of how they see the world around them. And this is what I do in a nutshell. Aside from that, I have I have a passion for cars, I have passion for traveling, but I always recognize myself as an architect from Jordan, based in Jordan, and would love always to be recognized as that architect, because architecture is very intertwined with the physical context and the historic context of where the architect was born. This is what I do in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. Speaking of your photography, of course, at the end of the episode, I would like you to share your Instagram and website so that people can follow you. But you know your the pictures that you take are always you know they're always honest they reflect jordan the way it is and it shows beauty in what we take for granted and i really like this as well as your words that it sort of make it more you know it adds a story into your photography which is really beautiful and also the pictures that you take of the buildings when you share that along with a line or two of your words are really, really beautiful. So highly recommend everyone to follow Leith where you come to Jordan so that you don't miss on some of the details in architecture in general. Okay, cool. Let's sort of introduce the buildings in general or the architecture in general, because it's I don't know as a non-architect, mm-hmm. but is it related to when the building is built? Because if you look at old Amman, which is east, eastern, mm-hmm. the eastern part of Amman, the older buildings, if you stand on Amman Citadel, you'll see the houses around you and you know they look very beautiful like as layers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you go to Western Amman, you'll see something completely different. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's related to time when it's built. Would you like to yes, sort of describe?
1: Of when looking at the Jordanian context, you need to take the, the political as well as the economic uh, context in consideration always. Uh, Jordan witnessed a rampant real estate economy in the late 70s, early 90s as a result of the oil boom that happened in the uh, gu- neighboring Gulf region. This oil boom made a, boosted the Jordanian economy with a lot of money coming from Jordan expatriates working abroad. In that time, in the early 90s, late 80s, many Jordanians working abroad aimed to secure a life for them in Jordan. This increased an appetite for land, for housing. And of course, the market became aware of such needs and the market is investors and investors really want to profit money and they do not take into consideration the aesthetic beauty or the context or the physical context. How could we maintain the inherent beauty of the Jordanian hills, for instance, or the Jordanian plains? They don't give a hell, honestly. So the devoid and the detached that someone foreign from Jordan might recognize the citadel or Jabal Weib, Jabal Qalaa, and so and so on. Also, maybe the city center has to do w- with when the buildings were built and how. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, the Jordanian people they did not have like a considerable economic means to build extra large buildings or architectures. Their means were very modest, and this directly reflect on the sort of architectural form, which what we refer to as architects as an architectural form. And this entails uh, like a certain height, maybe three stories maximum. The dimensions are very small because the structure that holds these buildings is also modest and is also needs to comply to structural systems which are very affordable. Hence, you recognize that, for instance, the houses and the buildings on Jabal Qala, they cascade, they lie terraced on the hills because... The users and the builders, they did not have the means to excavate the whole hill. But the profit-oriented businesses, they do have the means to excavate and to alter and to alter the, the natural undulation of the land. They do have the capital. And honestly, this is why you find a devoid like when there's also a capital without uh, being an intellect individual aware of uh, the importance of the physical context and the importance of the inherent characteristics of the built environment of Jordan. You could alter the land without any consideration of those and you will lose these unique characteristics that you find. This is why... When you shift to Western Amman, and I would love the visitors to recognize this, not only recognize uh, an economic shift, because Western Amman is inhabited by high income individuals, high income Jordanians, and the architectural form of those individuals is very apparent. Large buildings, often stone clad, villas, apartment buildings, large apartment buildings, whereby in the eastern side of Amman, it's, it's very modest. They're earthy in colors. Uh, the, the openings are very small because the, there's an emphasis on privacy because every building is adjacent to the other building. You don't need to have like a large window which opens onto your neighbor's living room. Privacy is very important in the Jordanian culture and of course in many other cultures around, around the world. But in western Amman, because the lands are much larger, you could have like a larger setbacks and you could have also a larger windows. And larger windows also translate into more expensive <laughs> architecture, which Western Ammanis do afford to, to have. But other than that, personally, this is debatable also. My the architecture, which I'm always inclined to design or, or even to base my designs on, uh, is the traditional, contemporary traditional Jordanian architecture. Rather than the contemporary, more modern uh, Jordanian architecture, as we discussed previously, personally with you, Lena, I'm more inclined into the rural contemporary traditional architecture, and also as I mentioned now, uh, the architecture of Eastern Amman, because it's honestly represents the, the users. They have it represents their means, their economic means. It presents their social needs, their family needs. Architecture of Western Amman, as I mentioned, is always dictated by investors rather. So the investor would come, buy a piece of land, uh, develop it into a villa or develop it into a build, uh, residential building, and then he sells. Uh, sells the apartment or sells the villa. So there was no direct safe for the owner in uh, designing the spaces, designing the, the facades, for instance, designing how he would eventually interact with the different spaces in the building or with the garden on a broader level, for instance. But the rural architecture of Jordan, the traditional architecture of Jordan, it's of the users themselves. They have built their houses, most probably, they have designed their houses as well because they could not afford hiring an architect. And hiring an architect in Jordan for the limited kind of income that the average Jordanian have is kind of expensive. So they would do with means of, yeah, I would design the living room in this space. Uh, so the living room will eventually open to the kitchen in this sort of um, crude and honest uh, manner, which is I'm very inclined to because The architecture of the users speaks a lot of the culture, speaks a lot of the history, because they have learned how to live and how to design a house from how their fathers and ancestors have learned. So it's layered. The market-oriented architecture is not, as I mentioned, dictated by investors.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. When my grandfather bought a land in the suburbs of Amman, he literally built the house with his kids. No architect was involved. He was able to build something big, but at the same time it was... Um, and then he could expand as well, as you mentioned. So there's a part that's add, later on added, like a terrace. What is also interesting is, you know, when we're I'm with my group on the bus or van, whatever, I always tell them to open the curtains and look out because you can't really describe everything they have to see and compare by themselves. But there's a huge difference to see between Amman itself, inside Amman is different. And then take Amman and compare it with any other city in Jordan. It's also different, different towns. You know, they reflect some, you know, personal preference to the locals. And it's really interesting how we also like to have a backyard or like a small garden where we could at least grow something. And this goes back to how, you know, Jordanians used to live yeah. where lots of people were farmers. and
1: One of the most important things that we don't need to overlook is the price of owning a piece of land Is Amman is very expensive. So the average Jordanian now could not afford to buy a piece of land. That's why they are enforced to buy an apartment in an apartment building. And... This kind of relationship with the land as a pricey object, as a pricey commodity, dictated the pattern of life that is present there, whereby in uh, in other governorates, in other towns, in cities, uh, in Jordan, Irbed, Jarash, Ajlun, Karak, Madaba, price of land still retains a modest budget. So there, the average Jordanian, if uh, he or she did not inherit a piece of land from their father or grandfather, they could afford a piece of land. Um, In Amman, this is without a question unaffordable for the average Jordanian. And this sort of relationship also connects to the architectural form, which I referred to earlier uh, today. When you can buy a piece of land with your own money, you could develop it into a small private residential house and that's it, okay? Hence, you could have like your own garden. You could cultivate piece of the garden for growing tomatoes, for growing mint, for <laughs> this kind of culture. And this stems from our relationship, our ancestral relationship with the land. In Jordan, we are not only in a nomadic culture, we are an agricultural culture, um, and sadly, this kind of relationship that used to tie us with the land is slowly getting eroded. When land became a commodity, it did not retain the, the value that it used to have, which is a source of life. Your grandfather would cultivate his land around the year, and this was his source of living. That's it. Now Jordanians treat land a sort of commodity, commodity they buy and sell it, and without cultivating it for instance without having it as a source of life maybe some of them uh, on seasonal uh, on seasonal pattern maybe they would harvest the olives and that's it but the jordanian culture used to invest in cultivating the land throughout the year and when the average jordanian in the governorates or in the towns of around in jordan they have retained this kind of special relationship that's why you feel that they are inclined to have a garden. They, they're inclined to have a hosh, which is uh, what we refer to in Jordan as the a private external space in the garden, which is often paved. And with parts of it also, of course, green. What I mean is they're grown with plants. When you compare this architectural pattern or this, this kind of living pattern with the profit-oriented apartment buildings. Um, Of course, you could not have a garden only. You could only have a garden on the ground floor. And investors' whole uh, aim, target, is to profit their pocket. uh, Expanding the the architecture onto its allowable limits would overtake the, the spaces that would be otherwise used for growing plants or cultivating. This is why... Amman, the urban fabric of Amman currently is very arid, very gray, very, very white with a complete absence of green. It's very minimal because what makes up the urban fabric is the building. And when the building expands on the limits without with no consideration of the open spaces around it or the grown open spaces around it, you would be left without any green Open space, and this is why the current urban fabric of Jordan, when you look on it from the plain, especially Amman, is very gray and very um, white without any green in it. When you move, whereas when you move to the north of Jordan, it's very green because we're still retaining this kind of relationship. Although, sadly, uh, in Erbet, for instance, which is the most agricultural and most fertile lands. In Jordan, it was referred to as the food basket for the Roman Empire, for the Byzantines, for the Umayyads, and culminating by the Ottomans. Now it's completely getting urbanized. And Sahul al-Huran in Erbid are one of the most fertile locations in the whole Fertile Crescent. And now they're getting urbanized. So the fault is not to be put on the on the average Jordanian. It's how laws have been uh, enacted in a way that Uh, they benefit the investor rather than retaining and protecting the agricultural history of Jordan. This is, for instance, for me, one of the most saddening realities that me as an architect who is inclined to be within the realm of nature, be within the realm of agriculture and the rural countryside of Jordan, it's a sad reality. We've discussed previously, me and you, on a personal level, how I'm very inclined to understand the rural architecture of Jordan. And the rural architecture of Jordan, for me as an architect, it's a starting point for me to design an architecture that is from the context. If I would have like an architectural intervention on the countryside for a user, for a client who affords money, I don't want my architecture to overpower To overwhelm the adjacent rural architecture of the modest average Jordanian. I want my architecture to go in tune with it. This is why I developed such interest in understanding the rural architecture of Jordan and appreciate it for what it is. I appreciate it for its funky sometimes colors. (laughs) Red, pink, uh, pink, uh, (laughs) pistachio green, uh, yellow, uh, orange sometimes... uh, For me, this is truly beautiful. Why? Because this is how the house owner decided to build his own house. (laughs) This is it. I have no say in it as an architect. This is how he has built or she has built her dream house with the modest economic means that she or he has. And this is truly fascinating. And also I would truly encourage anyone visiting Jordan and the towns in Jordan to to focus on this uh, kind of architecture um, because it speaks a lot about the culture. It does, it does. It speaks about a lot about the culture. And you have referred yesterday in our talk that the columns that often expand from the rooftops of the houses, it's- I'm it's always, inherent...
0: uh, just to interrupt you there, I'm always asked this question, like mm-hmm. why are there like columns on top of a house? So it looks like it's going to be built on top. Mm-hmm. To continue build another story or yes. something, but then it's not. It's just columns, and I'm always asked this question
1: in Jordan when you get married, especially in the towns around Jordan, not in the city, a man's city. Mainly the son, they do not disown their parents. They still live with their parents, and uh, when the father who has built the house or who or who or who decided to build the house, he. He does plans for his sons <laughs> to live with him. Because from a Jordanian perspective, uh, we have taken care uh, of our kids. And now in return, when we get older, uh, me as a parent, I would love to have my kids to take care of me. And be around me all be the around, time. Be have around all the time. Lunch
0: together on Friday, on And the have weekend. breakfast, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And such cultural pattern dictates the architectural form, the archiform. So even when we are designing like an average house as an architect, we were often asked that we need to uh, design the structural system to retain three or four more stories, yeah? But at the time when the building is built, when the house is built, the, the owner would not have like enough economic means to build the other story. So this is why they leave columns extending from the house because it would indicate that yeah a future a future expansion to the house is planned and namely for the son
0: true yeah 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 especially the eldest it starts from the eldest son mm. you know coming yeah. onward it doesn't matter how so, many yeah, kids this is, you have this
1: kind, this kind of relationship it's an interesting relationship and me as an architect it's um it's also like an interesting design gesture the, the architecture is not more not any more rectangular it's rectangular with Columns that one might say that are unusable, but no, they are structured columns. We refer to them in Jordan as asab, which is the nerve Uh in in English. Um, Asab, the nerves of the house, which is the structures of the house. Which is like inherently, it's very interesting to look at them and to... Have them as part of the Jordanian identity of architecture of the yeah. traditional contemporary tra- uh, Jordanian architecture. Yeah,
0: yeah, because because you get to see it in so many cities wherever you go. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like oh Amman or especially in towns more or less and in the north in the south whatever you get to see it everywhere. I'd never like sort of filled anything. I was like, yeah, it's this yeah, is normal we're used to it. Yeah. But then it, when I'm it, asked, yeah. you know, this is funny when, you know, you're asked and you're like, I don't know how to answer this question. Why are there <laughs> columns on top uh. of the house? So I, I went back and I asked my father and his, his answer was really funny. You know, it was you know he's not an architect, so he's not gonna answer the way you do. But he said it's more or less like a mental thing. Like, oh I have the columns ready. Once I have a little bit more money, I'm gonna I only have the walls left. Yes. To build.
1: Because the structure is the most expensive element to build in a house. And when you could afford to build the columns, to infill them with block walls, it's not that expensive at all. Once you infill them with block walls, with partitioning walls... Uh, you have a house, and that's as simple as it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this is how the traditional Jordanian architecture is built. It's only columns, walls, partition walls, and that's it. and this is what fascinates me as an architect because often me as an architect, I over uh, complicate things, complicate my designs. Then I see like how people uh, design their houses in this simple manner, modest, crude manner. And it works. It works for them. It does, of yeah. course. There are some like functional uh, flows. Yeah. In such architect, but if it works for them, it works for me. Yeah. As well, so yeah, th- there's a lot to be learned from such archetype for me as an architect. Yeah,
0: it's really interesting. I do find it really fascinating how you know it's probably the more east you go. You find less two-story buildings or three-story buildings Mm. the more east you go. Even in in towns in in the west of Jordan, you still find two stories or something. The more eastern you go, because the land is less expensive, you Mm. get to see really big houses with a huge garden around. And this is what people like. Mm. And yeah, they do live next to each other, but they don't have to live above, like on top. Yes, of course. Because, you know, the land is theirs and, you know, they could...
1: They could build, they could expand however they wished and they could grow the land however they wished. And uh, yeah, part of personalizing one's space or one's house, the first thing is to plant it with... The flowers that you love, the vegetables that you eat. Yeah. When you have such space to grow and to plant, you are in a way garnishing your house with elements that are very sustainable and very green. But at the same time, they're very personal to you. Yeah. And this is the aspect that I miss in the market profit oriented architectural form of Amman, current one. There's no room for the users to personalize their own spaces. How could you personalize your own space or your own house when you're living on the third floor? You
0: cannot. Yeah, you see some it's balconies. Hard. Only the balconies the balcony. where
1: you they have a dual function yeah. of hanging your clothes uh, or using it as an open space, which is, it's very limited and it's very sad when the life that we used to have like 50 years ago or 40 years ago, 30 years ago, everyone had a house. Everyone had his or her own garden. But now the reality is different. That's why on my spare time, maybe aside from Jabal Amman or Jabal Webde or city center, I do not enjoy being much in Amman. I would encourage the people, if they are in Amman, to explore the rural part of Amman, which is very often overlooked. Amman is one of Jordan's most fertile agricultural locations, especially the western part of it. And the Western Amman that we referred to earlier in in this podcast, which is completely uh, getting eroded and overwhelmed with private villas and high-end apartment buildings, this was agricultural part of Amman and Jordan. Wadisir, for instance, used to supply Amman with two-thirds of its needs of wheat. And now, if you go to Wadisir, it's completely industrialized, not only urbanized, industrialized. And... Still, but if the government here is very true to the cause of regulating urbanization in, in Jordan, many places of Wadi now and Wadi Shita, Bader jadida Zabda, Kashif, Al Amir—all of these places return a really beautiful and unique rural side of Amman, which I encourage people to come and visit them and appreciate them for what it is, because this would result in not only shedding the light on the importance of the rural architecture or the rural side of Amman, but this would provide income when tourists are often visiting such places. This would provide income for the inhabitants inhabitants of these places to provide tourists with activities, to provide them with food, for instance, traditional food, uh, traditional drinks, show them around, sell them their own produce that they have cultivated from their own lands. And this year I went Chianti in Italy, the countryside of Italy. And the agro-tourism, which is agricultural tourism, there and around the world is booming. So now, rather than rely on the beauty of the agricultural land to sell it and then to develop it into a residential high-end villa you could uh, invest in a sustainable manner in attracting tourists and attracting diff- Jordanians from different parts of Jordan to come and appreciate agricultural side of Jordan for the, not only the beauty, but for the culture that is there and has been there for hundreds of years. So I would encourage you, Lina, to guide your tours, to appreciate the rural side of Amman for the reasons I mentioned.
0: Yeah, we do if the schedule allows it depends on the group's time but we do go to iraq al-amir especially because there's a hellenistic palace mm. and it's perfect for you know noticing the rural part of amman as well as the historical part of that area and there's a a local organization that also provides like the females of that mm. area provide food and they have sustainable Crafts, you know, they make their own papers and turn them into postcards. Yeah, this is agrotourism. This is beautiful. Yeah,
1: this is this is what I encourage. Like, if the government is very aware of this, this could be like a sustainable booming industry that would retain a good income for the locals and good income for the country. You need to emphasize on the beauty of what you have as a country. Not all the lands are supposed to be developed into <laughs> to residential use. That's the thing. And sadly, most of the lands that are developed into residential uses are the agricultural lands. Why? Because agricultural lands and fertile lands are beautiful, inherently beautiful. And this is attracting investors. This is attracting niche buyers, niche clientele with capital. And the, for them, they treat these lands as a commodity, as, as something to behold, And that's it. But for the local culture, it's slowly getting eroded and weakened, then eroded. And such tours that you do in these kind of areas would uh, not only empower the locals, but would provide them with uh, sustainable income.
0: Yeah, it does. And you get to compare what your groups feel about taking them to a five-star's restaurant in a in the middle of I don't know somewhere in Amman and compare that with taking them to Iraq Al-Amir, and slowly walking around the palace understanding the history and then going to that that organization and then talking to the females right there and having lunch with them that they make and a you know, experience it's, in a nutshell, it's yeah. completely different and I notice how happy they are to even buy like a, a postcard that is like customized. It's really, you know, you don't get to buy it from anywhere else. And um, it's really beautiful. And it, I think they're so creative. And I really, I understand how my groups would really have fun doing that more than, you know, taking them to a 5 stars restaurant that, you know, provides food that might not be what we eat normally at our homes. But yeah, we just give them everything. Yeah, it would be a mixture of all lunches to get five, six yeah, lunches yeah. together. Oh, like all of the hummus and tabbal. We talked about this like in one of the episodes and then the main dish, which we don't have that. We get normally just a one main dish with some salads and yogurt mm. and that's it. We don't get to have so many appetizers and that would be different to how we eat. And, you know, the restaurants would provide it completely differently. But when we do go to those areas, my groups get to see what locals eat normally yeah. and they would enjoy how the homemade we really... jam, yes. the honey, the yeah. za'atar
1: and zayat yeah. that they harvested from their own lands. And for me, it tastes different. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm a bit emotional in that manner. But um, I've started like three years ago, I started harvesting our uh, olive trees from our own lands. And every time, every olive harvest, every time I bring back the olive oil back to home, Back to my place. It tastes different because there's a sort of a special attachment to what I was able to produce from my own land. And for for, for tourists and for your group to experience the taste of a local experience, a local, local produce, is something different. I have experienced it in Italy in Chianti. It tasted different. I was able to sense the sense of uh, pedigree that the owner of the house had that, yeah, this is my house and this is my land. I've, uh, th- this wine is, I cultivated, I've done this wine from my land and this olives are from my father's land. And yeah, uh, there's a sense of pedigree. There's a self- sense of being proud about the things that you were able to to do and you could let others experience as well. And I'm pretty sure that Local Jordanians in Iraq al Amir or other rural places in Jordan would feel the same. They would feel that, yeah, they are recognized for the special things that they do, the mundane things that they do. They're special for, for someone else. For them, maybe harvesting their own olives is something very ordinary. But someone coming from China, someone coming from Korea, or someone coming from the States, it's something different. It would have like a unique kind of experience yeah. that they would uh, appreciate it and start appreciating what they do, so they can retain their lands, retain what they what they have, rather than sell it and rather than abrupting this kind of sustainable relationship that we used to have with the land.
0: True, especially when it boils uh, down into it's, it's all yeah, connected. It Everything is. is intertwined. Absolutely. And uh, especially when uh, the locals uh, make their bread in front of the groups, you know, make bread, show them, you know, the local olives, as you mentioned, or the olive oil from their own land. And just to try this, just to try Mm -hmm. the bread with a dip of olive oil, it feels something. The bread, the taboon bread, I'm
1: speculating they have tasted the taboon bread. Yeah. This kind of, (laughs) this method of baking bread traces to thousands of years. So to have a glimpse of... uh, how people in this area in this region used to bake the bread is something eye-opening because I'm not sure if if you read this uh, research. The first piece of bread in the world was found in Jordan in Mafraq.
0: I can't recall the city, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And uh, when they have investigated the analyzed. The, The constituents of the piece of bread, they found herbs, they found spices, they found mustard seed. And this trace, this glimpse of the history, if we are to retain it and if we are to present it to the tourists, I'm speculating they would like it. (laughs) I'm definitely sure that because all the groups from
0: previous experience, all the groups do enjoy it so much and it this sort of when we take them to a bakery for example and it once it happened when we took them to a bakery when it was Ramadan where we fast so it was open but it was not freshly baking yet because it was in the morning and most of the, the things like were sold out because of the previous day and they were you know but they were left just some parts of you know this sort of bread and that sort of local whatever pastry or and the group's absolutely admire going to bakeries and they enjoy every single part of it just mm-hmm. because it it shows that how how many bread types we have and yeah, yeah. How, what kind of food we like and and also it, it, the funny part of this whole thing is what, when There were no bakeries, say, I don't know, 50 years ago. I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. but there were no much bakeries because every single family would bake their own bread Exactly. and to experience that, to go to somebody's house and see them bake their own bread and try it freshly made is really encouraged. I really encourage my groups to do that.
1: There's also one more thing in Jordan, of course, it's an Islamic country, but there's also a new industry of brewing beers, yeah, of, yeah. Uh, of wineries, yeah. of ta- wine tasting rooms. And this business is gradually booming. And I would encourage like, tourists to come and taste, to have a taste of our local beer. I'm a beer lover, for instance. <laughs> I'm a wine lover. And uh, it tastes different. Like, and many of my friends living in Germany, when they come to visit Jordan, they would taste the red wine of Jordan. Uh-huh. And they would say, yeah, this is something different. The, the beer is something different. I would encourage to have a taste of what Jordanians eat, what they drink. Not only the tea, not only the coffee. The coffee industry is also booming. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one of the most tasty coffees I have, I've ever had is, is in Jordan also. So Same. this kind of like brewing coffees, uh, brewing beer, wineries, it's on a limited scale. But I would also encourage yeah. people like to have a taste of uh, what we drink and what we have. Yeah.
0: To experience what yeah. locals experience in general. Mm. One last question, Lace. I would like to ask what is your favorite part of Amman and then probably Jordan mm-hmm. from a general architecturist way? Was that a correct word?
1: My favorite part in Amman is the Western rural part of Amman, which includes the rural part of Wadi Seer, Badr al-Jadidah, Al Kashif, Zabda, Wadi Shita. Iraq, the Amir. I often feel that I'm inclined to visit them throughout the year, in the winter, in the in the summer, the, in the spring. One of the most like unique aspects that um, we have, like the term that we have four seasons in Jordan, is always became a cliche. But for me, it's not a cliche. Yeah. We literally have like four different seasons. In the spring, this area, this western rural area of Amman, is completely green. In the summer, it has, like, a goldish color because what used to be green got, uh, like, burnt with the sun rays and it turned into a gold, which is, in essence, a very beautiful, like a painting. It becomes, like, a very goldenish, golden painting. In the winter... the greens and the the greys of the fog and the browns of the soil. It paints uh, they all all of them symbiotically paint beautiful paintings. So yeah, these 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 areas in Amman, and because of the physical immediacy, um, I live 15, 20 minutes away from these parts. So I feel like whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I'm feeling stressed, I would go there and zone out of everything I have and enjoy nature for what it is without any interruption. And I often find myself that I would love to detach myself from architecture. I'm not any more inclined to see beautiful architecture when I'm there. I'm only there to enjoy the nature. Open space. Open spaces. Far away from all. The oak trees, the olive trees, the texture of the oak trees communities when you're looking at them from afar, the texture of the olive trees when, you, when you're looking at the land from afar. All of these aspects I really enjoy and I love. It's one of my most favorite places to go to. In Jordan, the south and the north. The north, especially um Qais and Irbed. The northern border with Palestine, Syria, overlooking uh, Tiberius Lake. For me, it's fascinating every time I go there. I've been there eight times. Every time uh-huh. I go there, it's always fascinating For that you are from one spot, you are able to see three countries. You're able to see parts of Lebanon. You're able to see Syria, the Golan Heights, the occupied Golan Heights, and Palestine, the occupied territories of Palestine. And it always fascinates me. Also, like the, in the wheat harvest season, I would love to be there. This year I've documented and the audience could go and check my Instagram page. I've documented the har- the wheat harvest season in Erbet, in, in Umqais, and in other towns in Erbet. It, it was it was a special experience. I could not like explain how special it is. So if you are in Jordan in April or in June, go and visit Umqais in the wheat harvest season and see how this land literally was the food basket of, anim- of empires. You could see remnants of this tradition um, still present. South of Jordan, it's very arid, but I really appreciate such aridness, the harsh mountains, the harsh uh, the architectures that are interacting with such harsh mountains and harsh environments are very interesting. Also, one of the most important human interventions I like in the South is the roads. The roads are somehow new, and the curvature of the roads when they undulate and when they curve with the with such harsh mountains, they are very, very beautiful. Maybe the tourists, maybe your group, uh, might have like a glimpse of this experience when they are going from Madaba to Dead that, that Sea. The roads, the asphalt, the curves for any petrol head, <laughs> for any car lover, yeah. uh, this is the Mecca to to to, to <laughs> come and enjoy driving in Jordan. <laughs> and yeah, these are my favorite places in Jordan.
0: Uh, would you like to say anything else?
1: No, I really enjoyed this podcast, and I would really enjoy people to come and visit Jordan and experience not only the. The historic heritage of Jordan and the ruins uh, to explore they have more to explore we have more for them to appreciate and yeah they will love they will love their stay they will enjoy their stay here in Jordan cool
0: That's and it. where <laughs> can they follow you or
1: on Instagram late uh, underscore Matarwe L A I T H underscore M A T A R W E H and it's the same as late Matarwe .com it's, it's your website. my website and i'm sure that you will uh, con- add the contacts if you can yeah i will yeah. Link, yeah, everything link
0: everything yeah. wherever i can and i'll also uh, steal some of your photos yeah of course
1: <laughs> you are free to do it, so <laughs>
0: cool i'll put so if when i put the episode on my website i will also add some of the pictures i really like some of your pictures where you took like the very old stone houses and then behind them the modern traditional ones that you mentioned with funky colors and everything. Mm -hmm. I don't remember where exactly I saw that picture in which piece, because I was reading all of his Uh genius, genius articles on his website. Highly recommended for people who are interested in architecture. He's a really genius Mm -hmm. person. And, you know, I can't remember which article that picture was in, but it sort of put like different eras and it, it was exactly next to each other. I was like, I see this, I see this in so many areas. You see it in Wadi Musa, you see it in mm-hmm. Tafiles, mm-hmm. you know, the the very old, probably a hundred years old. Buildings, stone buildings with something like that's maybe twenty, thirty mm. years old. The contrast, moderns. the stark contrast. It's beautiful. Mm. It's really beautiful. And I really appreciate this part of of Jordan, you know, it's It's layered, it's like it Jordan's yeah. history.
1: Like we are making like this is part of our history. Yeah. Our, even the buildings that we do not truly really enjoy, it's part of the collage of, yes. of, of Amman, yes. of, of Jordan. In 1500 years, there will be part of the story that Jordan uh, will be to tell its inhabitants and its tourists. So maybe a day will come that I will appreciate the architecture. I do not appreciate now. Yes. Because also time has a valuable dimension to to, yes, add, uh, to everything. We do not appreciate things always for what they are but for the time it passed on them and the memories we developed with them and yeah it's it's part of the collage of the city it's part of the story of the, the country yeah
0: sure. beautiful thank you so much for being with us Thanks i'm really honored that oh, I'm you really, I'm, I'm really flattered and i <laughs>
1: really enjoyed every single bit of this thank podcast.
0: you thank you thank you that you know it's um I really like this particular episode and I am super honored that you agreed to be with us today and good luck for your future plans cuz I know you have a lot. He's got conferences to do and he's <laughs> traveling away tomorrow but I am really honored that you joined us today. Thank so you lot. so much. It's my Thank honor. you. <music> That's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did while creating it. I'm making a first ever writing and traveling retreat in January. We'll have writing sessions and traveling to the northern parts of Jordan. Sign up for the retreat, because the seats are limited to five. We'll stay in an old, artisty house with two rooms, with spectacular view and hiking trails. If this is something someone you know would be interested in, share the word. Or if you're planning your trip to Jordan, don't hesitate to get in touch. So if you have any question or you need a tour guide throughout, let me know. You can contact me through my website, JordansMosaik.com, or follow me on Instagram at Lena underscore A-L-R-A-B-A-B-H or just email me on lina at jordansmosaic.com See you there. Salam.